Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have Brian, Jeff, and Alan with you today, and Jeff, uh, really looking forward to talking about this subject about translations. Yeah, I am too. You know, with both translations as well as, you know, the Bible being, you know, inspired. There's a lot of books out there uh, that claim that, a lot of writings that claim that. Uh, And of course, all these point to the existence of some kind of God or gods. And so, you know, bottom line is we need to figure out which one is is right and true. And then, of course, follow it. Yeah, that's it. In fact, I say translations. Really, this is going to be a two-part series where we talk about inspiration and we talk about reliability of the scriptures that we have today, you know, and answer questions like, can we rely on the Bibles that we have access today and be confident that it's the same truth that God gave to men back in the first century? And so, Alan, let me welcome you and uh, give you a chance to maybe tee up a little bit what we're going to talk about in this two-part series. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to uh, be with you guys today. Yeah, you know, in the last um, 50 years, we've seen a real slide in the confidence and the attitude toward what we call the inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, Many, many years ago, when a person became a Christian, not only did they know that God exists, and not only did they know that Jesus was the Son of God, but they also were taught and believed that all of, all of Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And inspiration is the foundation upon which all communications between God and us must be understood. The more confidence we have in inspiration, the more confidence we have in, in the uh, uh, Scriptures, the more authority they're going to hold toward us. If, if we take even for a moment the view that there's something in the scriptures that is human of human origin, then that destroys the credibility of the scriptures and leaves it kind of open for us to interpret it any way we want to. And, and that has created a serious problem in dividing the people who call themselves Christians today. Yeah, Alan, you know, today when people refer to the Bible, they often call it the Word of God or the Scriptures. And so I know one of the things that you wanted to do today was to kind of explore how God created His Word. So how did it come to be? How did we get it here on this earth? And in fact, uh, I know something else that you'll, you'll mention is how Paul described really two distinct views of the preaching and the writing of the apostles and prophets. In other words, two different sources of what we might call truth. So anyhow, what are your thoughts about those? Well, I think that that's one of the most fundamental passages that we all need to understand and accept as Christians today. If we want to call ourselves a disciple of Jesus, then we have to accept the fact that as he sent his apostles into all the world, he promised the Holy Spirit to them so that everything they spoke would not be from them, but would be from God. And when Paul came into Thessalonica and he began to preach the gospel to them, the choice that they had of, of accepting his words is really given in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Jeff, would you like to read uh, that verse for us? And then we'll talk a little bit about that. Sure. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So this passage gives the two options. And of course, in our world today, there's a third option, and that is some of it is and some of it isn't. But for the genuine Christian, the the disciple that God is going to look to as being uh, having the type of faith that he's hoping to see in his people, is that we will accept the Bible from Genesis to Revelation as the Word of God. And we have received it as the Word of God, and we welcomed it, not as the Word of man, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So the churches in the world today 
are going to be uh, categorized or they're going to be looked upon based on their acceptance of this truth. If a church does not believe that the Bible is the Word of God, if they believe that Paul's prejudices or that the writers of the New Testament were not fully inspired in every word that they wrote, then they can set aside commands. They can say, well, when Paul wrote about women, that was a personal bias on his part, and therefore we don't have to worry about whether we have women preachers or not. Or when Paul was writing about uh, any subject, is it the word of God or is it the word of men? And the basis upon which we decide that will determine how much of our culture can slip into the church. Because the church that God designed and planned was perfectly uh, devised and then put into the scriptures as a blueprint. And the closer we are to the blueprint, the closer we are to the church that God planned in eternity and wants to see on the earth today. And so any time we take a scripture and we say, well, we don't know if we can accept this scripture or not. The first thing we're doing is we're saying we don't know what the Word of God is and what the Word of God is not. And secondly, we are, we are injecting our own human wisdom into the scriptures itself. And there's so much of that today, and that's why I wanted to address this before we talk about translations, because the translations, unfortunately, reflect this bias. There are some translations where they believe every word in the scripture is inspired, every voice, every tense, every, every uh, verb, every noun, everything in the scriptures, and they are very accurate in their translations because they believe that. But if you don't believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, then you're kind of open to your own methods, and that's what we're seeing today. So this verse is very important, and I would ask all our listeners, could Paul thank God for you? Have you accepted without question or doubt that the Word of God is what Paul preached and what Paul wrote. And that brings us to another scripture that Paul wrote, and I think it's very critical that we consider that one as well. And Brian, would you like to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 for us this morning? Oh yeah, here it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This again is the gold standard upon which true Christians will consider the scriptures. The concept of all scripture is beginning with Genesis and of course ending in Malachi and then continuing on with Matthew through Revelation that it was all given by inspiration of God. That what Moses wrote in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 about the creation was not Moses thinking based on Egyptian philosophy regarding a creation. It was directly revealed to him by God. It was written by Moses with the Holy Spirit's guidance so that there's not a single human thought in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And Jesus accepted that when Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning? And he quotes what Moses wrote and he accepted and never questioned anything written in the Old Testament. If, if there was anything in the Old Testament that was not correct, Jesus had every opportunity to correct it for us, but he did not. He believed in the inspiration of the scriptures and he expects his disciples to believe in the inspiration of the scriptures. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means every word in every book. And that's why it's profitable for doctrine. The doctrines in the church are based on the scriptures. Only doctrines that are based in the scriptures are profitable. Otherwise, they're human wisdom. The same thing with reproving. We can rebuke people. We can correct people. We can instruct people on what righteousness is based on all scripture. And so, as we look at these two verses, you accepted it as it is in truth, the Word of God, and all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is one of the most fundamental questions that each disciple has to ask himself, is how far am I willing to give my life over to these two basic convictions? 
if I believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God, then every scripture in the Bible, I need to make an assessment on it, and I need to make sure that it's what I believe, and it's the lifestyle that I'm living. And if I believe that, then no one is going to embarrass me by asking me if I believe the creation was actually in six days, and or do you believe really that there was an Adam and Eve, or do you think that uh, Moses really talked to God in a bush? And for me, those answers are simple. Absolutely. I believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and I hope every listener out there has those same convictions. Because without those convictions, it doesn't matter what Bible you have, it doesn't matter what translation you have, it doesn't matter because you're going to pick and choose what you want to believe. And, and that's not what a disciple does. Oh, and it's interesting, and I appreciate the point you're making. Uh, it's interesting with, as you mentioned, the verse in Second uh, Timothy 3, you know, all scripture given by inspiration. Now, you know, for some of our listeners, you know, given their religious background, you know, that may be relatively straightforward, or it may be a little on the confusing side. And the reason why I say that is, you know, there's like two points. One is this concept of inspiration. What does that really mean? Because, you know, that word has a couple different shades of meaning, one of which is like, oh, you know, for instance, you know, William Shakespeare was inspired to write some very moving plays in his time. So the word has some, you know, nuances of difference. The other question that I think our listeners might stumble across is what is claimed to be scripture. Sometimes that term is referred used to refer to the what we would call the Old Testament, sometimes it's the New Testament, sometimes it's what we call the Bible, sometimes it's what extra books that some translations have included in the Bible, which technically is called the Apocrypha. I know there's some people out there that claim the Book of Mormon is scripture, <laughs> you know, et cetera. It just kind of depends. So, you know, we may want to spend a little bit of time kind of clarifying, you know, those for our audience that may have not the, should I say, traditional view or, or an understanding of what those terms mean. That's an excellent point, Jeff. And, and it's something that we will have to work with, but it all begins with inspiration. If there is such a thing as inspiration, of course, Christians are convicted that there is, then we have several questions we have to ask ourselves. The first one, of course, would be, what is Scripture? And as you pointed out, there's many different views on that, but the Bible itself will guide us, and it will help us to understand where Scripture ends and man's wisdom begins. Paul spends a lot of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 discussing the difference between human wisdom and the divine wisdom in the Scriptures. And he makes it pretty clear. As, as I mentioned a moment ago, if there was any Old Testament books that were lost, if there were any Old Testament books that didn't belong in the Bible, then Jesus would have dealt with that for us. If there was any verse in the Bible that, that he didn't think was correct, he would have corrected it for us. The fact that he let everything stand proves to me that as a disciple of Christ, I'm going to accept what he teaches, and that is that everything in the Old Testament is inspired, and then not one jot or tittle of it, which is a crossing of a T or the dotting of an I. That's how inspired it is, and that's how inspired Jesus accepted it. Yet he said, it will be done away when everything is fulfilled. So when Jesus died on the cross, the Old Testament changed from our law to, as Paul put it in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, for our learning and for our example, and, and for us to understand. But then Jesus moved on. Uh, there's a passage in Peter that sums up the Old Testament scriptures. And, and of course, again, Jesus validated this, and now Peter's explaining it to us. And it's a very interesting passage. This is in Second Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 20 and 21. Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now this is Peter's, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is his description of how the Old Testament was written. The word prophecy simply means words that were written by inspiration. And a prophet is someone who preaches by inspiration. Literally, a prophet is a mouth for God, and prophecy are the words of God. And no prophecy 
from Genesis chapter 1 to Malachi chapter 4, no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Isaiah never sat down and said, well, what will I write today? Or any of the Old Testament prophets. They spoke when the Holy Spirit moved them to speak, and they said what the Holy Spirit moved them to speak. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and this is a state-of-the-art definition of inspiration, and that is holy man of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, there is no indication that any other book outside of those 66 books has this validation, this stamp of divine approval, this stamp of divine inspiration. So once we get away from those books, um, we're, we're right in the middle of human wisdom, the wisdom that Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and that God basically has rejected and has uh, set it aside. So that's the first passage. Another passage that he used to describe how the apostles would be inspired and how the pro his prophets would be inspired is given in Mark chapter 13 uh, and in verse 11. And uh, Jeff, why don't you read that for our listeners, please? Certainly. Do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, this passage removes all doubt. Paul was not speaking in any of his letters. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through him. Jesus made that clear. It is not you who speak. So when people today make comments like, well, Paul was a victim of his culture, they're really speaking against the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit caused Paul to write those things. And the Holy Spirit is the author of everything Paul wrote. Paul, not one time did Paul ever say that these are my thoughts or these are my ideas. He always told us this is inspired. So when it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, it means men spoke as moved by the Holy Spirit, and it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit who speaks in you. Now, once we accept these truths, once we take First uh, Thess Thessalonians there, chapter uh, th two, and, and we read that and we say to ourselves, that's me. I'm the person that Paul could thank God for. I have accepted the Bible, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now, once we accept that, now we're ready to take the authority of the scripture and accept it. Even if there's something in there I don't like, even if there's something in there that doesn't make sense to me, that's the basic concept of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so once God tells me his word is inspired, that's all the evidence that I need. And from that point on, if you can show it to me in the Bible, we're finished. I have nothing left to do but accept it. I can't argue it away. I can't say this or that. I can't think any, because I don't want to inject any human wisdom. And so this is, this is a very important foundational doctrine that every disciple has to accept, or else sooner or later his own wisdom is going to creep in as he rejects the scripture, making rationalizations about how it couldn't be true when God's already said it's absolute truth. Yeah, it's interesting, Alan. You know, when it comes to the truth, and we could take this in a whole different direction, and I'm not suggesting we should, but certainly one of the things that Jesus focused on and said on many occasions to those whom he was speaking to is that the source of truth that he revealed was from the Father. And he was simply conveying faithfully what the Father had taught him and said that when he you know, left this earth and, and went back to heaven, that he would send the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus makes the point to say also that the Holy Spirit would simply convey what the Father wanted to be said. So I think the beauty of the scriptures are that, you know, as Jesus said, there's only one source of truth, it's the Father. So the Father has ensured, as you pointed out, through the Holy Spirit to convey the truth to men. And so then it is just a matter of, well, do we accept that or not? Do we accept what God has given us as the truth? And, 
you know, it's interesting when you think about all the effort that God has made to make sure that we have his fully revealed word. It's it's pretty amazing. And I think another element that we could spend a lot of time on, and I know that you have a specific direction you want to go, but but just how powerful the word is. It it does more than just reveal to us truth. It actually operates on us and discerns what we think and all of those. So I'm thinking about a passage you mentioned here, Alan, in Hebrews chapter 4, where it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that makes it clear that A, it's living, right, in that it's powerful and in what it's able to do with our own hearts specifically. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. And, and, you know, maybe at some point we can come back to this because the subject of inspiration is fabulous and it is very awe-inspiring and it creates a tremendous amount of confidence in the scriptures. But there's probably 40, 50, even 60 verses that we'd have to spend time on. And, of course, our goal today is only to set forth the fact that the initial scriptures that God gave to us were perfect, flawless, and therefore, as we talk about translations, we have to we have to factor that in. But the whole concept of inspiration is just an amazing subject. God has been so clear on it. He's made it so firm and so fixed. And again, once a Christian comprehends the inspiration of the scriptures, the absolute authority of the scriptures, that it's still alive, that it is still active and powerful and that God has left it to lead us to salvation. The word of God is the lamp unto our feet. It is the guide. Uh, and Jesus proclaims himself to be the light of the world. And that light has been transferred into the scriptures. And so the the attitude that we have toward God, God exists. That's an absolute fixed conviction that never wavers. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again the third day. He is the Son of God. He was with God in the beginning. That's a core conviction that leads us to submit to his authority. And now we have the scriptures themselves, which is really the interface. It's the only method we have of contacting or, or hearing or understanding what the will of God is. And again, the more strong or the strong, the more strongly we hold to the conviction that every word in the Bible is God's word. Every word in the Bible is inspired. Every word in the Bible has been kept and protected, and God expects us to use that for doctrine and for correction and for instruction. And But when we start rationalizing, well, this verse, ah, this verse, and, and suddenly the Bible loses its uh, power and authority, and now we're open, and this is what we're seeing all over the world today. People come in, they read the scriptures, they say, I'm not going to accept this scripture. I think it's human wisdom. I think it crept into the Bible. But our purpose in, in our study today is to help our listeners understand this is what God said about his word. Now, if you believe it, then like Paul said, I thank God that you've accepted it as the word of God. But if you don't believe that, then you can just hear on the judgment day that your faith was flawed and I gave you my promises, I gave you my assurances, and we either have to accept them or we don't accept them. And so Paul talked about his own inspiration in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, starting in verse 11. And so, uh, Jeff, uh, I think you haven't spoken to us for a little bit, so why don't you go ahead and read uh, that verse for us, please. Sure. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So you can see from this verse that Paul's own mind, his own thinking, has nothing to do with the gospel. I received it through revelation. And so, uh, again, I accept that without question. And then he explains in Ephesians chapter 3 how that revelation, which was given to him, has been transferred to us. 
And so, Brian, why don't you read Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 3 through 5. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So everything we've said up to this point in our podcast is summed up in this verse. They got it by revelation. They had no thought whatsoever of their own to add to it. When they wrote it, they wrote it by revelation. And when you read, then you can understand what Paul understood by direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, that no one ever knew these things because it has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets. And so this is what we now have in Matthew through Revelation. We have the revelation of what God wants man to understand by the Holy Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. That takes the Bible and it separates it from all other writings. It turns it into gold, whereas all other writings are simply dirt. They're just chaff. They're just refuse. A human wisdom is nowhere compared in any way to the wisdom of God in the scriptures. And so inspiration is he made it known by revelation, made it known by the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets. So there, there really can be no doubt. I mean, you can say, I don't believe it. You can say, I won't accept that by faith. But you can't say the Bible does not proclaim itself to be the living and abiding Word of God, not by man, but by the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus promised, I will send the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And that's exactly what we have in the scriptures today. Well, and in many ways, you know, we shouldn't be surprised of this sort of, I'll say, mechanism. Because with a, you know, supernatural, supreme being who, you know, created everything, including us, you know, who wants us as our creator to do certain things, you know, that has to be communicated, you know, to us. Uh, and without that kind of, you know, guidance, if you will, to preachers, prophets, writers, if you will, you know, we'd be left to our own devices and, you know, that never works out, you know, to figure out what some supernatural being that we can't communicate with, you know, wants from us. So in many ways, that's sort of the, you know, full nature, if you will, or full, a full expression of our, you know, faith that yes, there is a God. Yes, indeed, he has communicated to us. Yes, indeed, that is through the scriptures. And we can rely on that communication as being, I don't know if I want to use the word untainted by, you know, human interpretation where, you know, God or the Holy Spirit, you know, communicated to Paul and Paul said, oh, okay, well, that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Okay, let me turn around and then use my own words <laughs> to sort of paraphrase what you just told me. No, no, not not the process. Uh, it also kind of reminds me of uh, you know First Corinthians uh, chapter two uh, verses uh, twelve through fourteen. Uh, again, you know Paul writing the Corinthians, uh, where he says, "Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God." These things we also speak, not in words which men's or man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So, as you're indicating there, uh, Alan, you know, certainly from an inspiration, it wasn't the thoughts or the ideas or the general intention or the Holy Spirit saying, okay, Paul, I want you to write in general about this thing and you can use your own words. You know, that's, that's certainly not what, what Paul is asserting here. Yeah, and that's right. And that, once again, we see a, a, a huge distinction, the chasm between human inspiration and divine inspiration. Paul says here, we have not received the spirit of the world. Now, the spirit of the world is amazing. I mean, to look at Shakespeare, 
to look at some of these uh, writers down through the history and, and the, or excuse me, through the history of the world and all the beautiful things that were written. Homer, you know, wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, and it's and in its day it was considered to be a, an amazing uh, ability of human insight and human wisdom. And but Paul says we are far above that. Uh, we didn't receive that. We didn't at, not at one time did Paul sit down. As Peter, you know, Peter put it kind of a different way. He said, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the word of... The, and, and so cunningly devised fables would be the wisdom of the world. And I think it's what we see in the Book of Mormon. I think it's what we see in, in many of the false religions. If you, if you look at the different religions in the world today, you see a lot of human wisdom. And, uh, but Paul says, we didn't, we don't, that's not what the Bible is. And again, Christians are people who believe in Christ. Christians are people who accept the teachings of Christ. This is the teachings of Christ. The Spirit, who is from God, has given us the things that we have. And that's exactly what Jesus promised them. He promised them three times in the book of John that it will that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will know the truth and you will be able to proclaim the truth. And so I accept this. You accept this. It's the dividing line between the genuine Christian and the mere professor. The person who says they're a Christian, as Jesus said in uh, Mark chapter 7, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And this is the will of the Father in heaven. From Matthew to Revelation, the doctrines we teach, the practices that we involve ourselves in, the things that we preach are right and wrong. They're all based on this distinction right here. If it's in the Bible, it's absolute. If it's not in the Bible, it's human wisdom. And so, verse 13, though, it, it gives us a, the basic concept of inspiration. We don't use human wisdom in our teaching, and we don't use human wisdom in the words that we use. The Holy Spirit has given us the word. So the Holy Spirit did not put a concept in Paul's mind and then say, okay, Paul, you figure out the best way to explain this to people. If that were the case, then Paul's wisdom could have crept into the scriptures. But Paul says, that's not what happened. The Holy Spirit gave me the revelation, and then he gave me the words. And that means that not only are the words inspired, but the tenses are inspired, the grammar is inspired. We'll see in a few moments that uh, Jesus used the tense of a verb to prove a doctrine, and he rebuked the Sadducees and said, you err because you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of the scriptures. Well, what is the power of the scriptures? Tenses of verbs create doctrinal proofs because that's how precise the word of God is. I mean, it's like you take a ruler and a ruler has lines for, if, of course, in, in America, it would be inches and then 116th, 132nd, 164th, and then it just goes on from there. And in other parts of the world, it's the meter and the millimeter and the centimeter. And, and uh, so the scriptures are so precise that You'd have a ruler that you couldn't even see the lines because there were so many. But that's how precise God can make the scriptures because the Holy Spirit is giving the words, the tenses, the prepositions, the nouns, the verbs, the participles. And each one of those also has a, an important purpose. And that's why when we get a translation, I want the same nouns, the same verbs, the same tenses, the same prepositions, because without that, the scriptures have been compromised. And that's why choosing a translation becomes such a critical thing. So as we sum up what we've learned about inspiration, and I don't know where you are as a listener right now, whether you're scoffing. Sadly, some people scoff at this. Whether you are perplexed, whether you are convicted, whether your heart is burning with, yes, I know that's true, and it's so wonderful to hear it proclaimed in, in such a clear way. I'm glad to hear these things. They're what I've always believed. 
But it, it all comes down to the verse we started with, and that is for Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, where Paul said, we thank God for this reason, and we thank God without ceasing for this reason. It is such a wonderful quality, and when you see it in a person, you know that they have the root and the foundation to continue on. He says, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. And so, what about you? What about me? Have we welcomed it as the word of God? Have we accepted it in such a way that we know all scripture is given by inspiration of God? and it is profitable, and it works inside of us. And so uh, you can say, or excuse me, I could tell a lot about you as a Christian by your response to these verses. If you're scoffing, if you're perplexed, if you're in doubt, then you have a ways to go. Because without this conviction, you will not be able to take it to the next level, and that is submit to everything that's in it. When there's doubt, then we wonder, do I really have to pay this price? Do I really have to make this sacrifice? But once you have accepted the inspiration, the divine stamp of absolute truth in every word that comes through the New Testament scriptures, until you have that, you're going to be one of those people like James talked about, like the surge of the sea, driven and tossed because you don't know whether or not the scriptures are absolute. So this is a critical thing, and I, I hope all our listeners will take some time to ponder and decide where they're at on this. Yeah, that's such an important point, Alan, because if you don't accept the truth or you don't accept the scriptures that we have today as being the absolute word of God, then it lends itself to introducing things to God's word. And we know that many of the world's religions were founded based on the principle that they feel that there needs to be, well, that God's word in some ways may have been corrupted, so therefore they need to either correct it or they have the latitude to introduce additional thoughts or additional doctrines into the, to the mix, we might say. Now, for those that, let's say, do believe, Alan, in the scriptures and do believe it's God's word, you know, they still may have a question about the reliability in the sense that, you know, if they've done some studies, and we certainly have articles on our website that talk about, like, the origin of the Bible and how, you know, we have no original manuscripts from the first century today. So sometimes to the website, we'll get questions, and I'll just ask you one, Alan, that sort of representative of questions that we get, and let's get your thoughts on that if we could. So someone might ask, you know, God's Word is nearly 2,000 years old. And we have none of the original letters or manuscripts. How can we be sure that God's word is as perfect today as it was 2,000 years ago? How would you answer that? Well, that's another, what would I say? That's another dart, fiery dart of the evil one. I've talked with people today, well, the original Bible was inspired, but let's face it, 2,000 years have passed, and certainly errors have crept into the scriptures, and how do we know what's originally written and not? Because we don't have the originals. How can we, how can we do that? And I think there's, there's two answers to that question. The one has to do with what we would call biblical criticism, which would be another interesting study to have sometime, but how did the Bible come down to us, and how much evidence do we have? Yes, the statement that we don't have the originals is true, but we have copies of the originals that date back to, you know, maybe 5, 10, 20 years after they were written. So, we can verify very clearly almost everything that is written in the New Testament. We have hundreds and thousands of quotations that we can look at and we can assess, and that's what has been done. And, uh, and I really appreciate the fact that it's been done, although I didn't need that. You know, it's like people today looking for Noah's Ark. Uh, and I've thought about that. What would happen to me if they actually found it? And I thought, well, nothing. I already, I'm already fully convinced I don't need to see an ark. I know God, I know Noah built an ark. I know that God saved the world through that ark. And whether we ever find it or not is immaterial. 
And so, even if we found the originals, it wouldn't change my convictions, and I hope it wouldn't change, change any of our listeners' convictions. But the promise that God gave regarding his scripture really answers all doubt. And there's, there's, two, there's two verses in the Old Testament and a couple of verses in the New Testament that I would hope that all true disciples, would, that would be all they would need. So let's start in the Old Testament. Let's look at Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. So we have two assurances here. The first is inspiration. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace purified seven times. That's how the Holy Spirit brought it down from heaven. And that's how Moses wrote it. That's how uh, Joshua wrote it. That's how Elijah and Jeremiah and every author in the Old Testament, the words that they wrote are pure words. But then we have this promise from God, you shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them, from this generation forever. Now we know what preserves are. When you take a, a vegetable and you preserve it, it means you put it in a jar and you set it up in such a way so that it's go not going to rot, it's not going to be destroyed. And, and that's what God has done with his word. And as I said, Jesus comes along 400 years after Malachi was written, thousands of years or, or you know, at least 1500 years after Genesis and the rest of them were written. And he has nothing to say except they're perfect, because that's what God promised. And you shall preserve them from this generation forever. Let me tell you an interesting story. Um, back in the early part of the 1900s, uh, there were people who were saying Isaiah 53 was clearly written after Jesus was crucified. There's no way that Isaiah 53, describing the, the sufferings of the Savior, could have been written before. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the, I think in the 50s or 60s. And suddenly we find an, a book of Isaiah that goes all the way back before Jesus was born, all the way back to maybe 50, 100, 200 years before Jesus was born. And here's all the books of the Bible, all the books of the Old Testament. Some are fragments, but most of them are complete books. And lo and behold, the Bible that we have today is just like that. And so, you know, we got our verification. I didn't need that verification. All I needed was this verse. But the, the Dead Sea Scrolls made a very clear verification that the 2,000 years between the time that Jesus was here and today, we can see clearly that God did preserve them from this generation forever. And as I said, if we ever do find the originals, we'll see the same thing. Uh, there's another verse that, that we want to look at. Brian, would you like to read Psalms 119, verses 89 and 90? Here it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. So, once again, we have a verse that says, You will preserve them from this generation forever. And we also have, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now, the point of that is, is God has a perfect flawless original in heaven. He knows exactly what Genesis should read. He knows exactly what Isaiah should read. It's in heaven, and he makes absolutely certain throughout all generations your faithfulness endures. In other words, I'm going to keep that down there so you can read it and you can follow it. It's very similar to what Jesus said. He said, He that rejecteth me and receives not my sayings has one that judges him. The words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Well, clearly, if I don't have those words, then it wouldn't be fair for him to judge me. But he knows that those words are going to be protected, that God's going to preserve them forever, that forever his word is settled not only in heaven, but also on earth. His faithfulness endures to all generations. And here we are, hundreds of generations past that, and still we have this assurance. Now again, if you're a Christian, you believe this. You, you are convicted by this, and, and you don't need anything else. I don't need any other verification. It's nice to have. Uh, it's nice to have the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's, it's nice to see things like this, but they're not necessary. God made a promise, and, and my understanding of God is it's impossible for God to lie, so I, I, that's all I need. 
So if we trust God's promises, then, then we don't need anything more. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we have exactly the same promises, even even actually fuller. So, uh, Jeff, why don't you read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 for us, so that our listeners can carefully consider that. Okay. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So, once again, here's a promise. God's word is incorruptible. Now, incorruptible means that it can't be corrupted. It can't be modified. It can't be damaged because God is protecting it. Now, we'll have to give a little bit of a caveat to this because some of the translations today, uh, they have corrupted the scriptures, and, and we'll discuss that in, our, in, a, in another podcast. But the, the word itself and the promises, and this is always going to be true, if you look for it, you will find it. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. The word of God is incorruptible. It lives. It abides forever. And, verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. And so, I mean, what more could God say than that? Now, you, you, we either accept it or we don't. If we're a Christian and, and we believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, then, then this is not even, uh, you know, it doesn't even create a difficulty. This is not something that, that even troubles me in the least. When I read an article of somebody who says, well, you know, we, we know we can't trust the Bible because of this, I just shake my head because no matter what he says, it's going to be false because God made this promise and God can't lie. So we have the incorruptible word of God. It's not like anything else. Verse 24, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. I think most of us are aware that all the textbooks in the schools today have to be revised every few years because errors creep into them because they're, they're made of flesh and they're like grass and it withers. Its flowers fall off, but not the scriptures. The scriptures are just as true and just as applicable and just as absolute today as they were when they were written. And again, this is a core conviction of a Christian. And if there's any doubt in anyone's mind who's listening to these words, I would say to you, go back and think carefully about your understanding of the power of the God you serve and the glory of the resurrected Christ and think to yourself, if they can live and they can be uh, eternal, then so can God's word. And they can protect it. And they have. And I have absolute confidence in that. I know that we have the truth today, just as we did in the beginning. Now, Jesus himself also made a promise. And so, uh, Brian, why don't you read that one for us? Matthew 24, uh, verses 34 and 35. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So again, I have a promise from my Savior. My words will not pass away. You can trust my words. When I read in the Bible what Jesus says, I do it because I trust his word. And I know the words he spoke will judge me in the last day. So they are profitable for doctrine. They are profitable for correction. Everything in the scriptures, if I'm not in harmony with it, then I will be very unhappy on the final day. I don't have the right to take any of Jesus' words or Paul's words or any Bible words and say, I'm going to ignore these. I'm going to set these aside. If once I do that, the whole scripture becomes relative. It's no longer black and white. Everything is gray. Everything is, uh, is, can be compromised. And I'm sorry to say and I'm sad to say that there are too many people today who call themselves Christians. And because they don't understand inspiration, they have corrupted Christianity and brought it down to a level of weakness and poverty and uselessness that none of us should be happy with. We want to rise above that. So, again, had every opportunity to point out any flaws or any mistakes in the Old Testament, but he didn't. And he promised there will be no flaws in his word. And so I believe 
that the Bible is just as inspired today as it was when it was first written. There are no errors that have crept in. There are no uh, things in the Bible that shouldn't be there. There are no commands in the Bible that were flawed because Paul or Peter wrote them. That's almost a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the author. No prophecy is a private interpretation because man spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, we have the words of the Holy Spirit, not the words of men. Now, God has put this into an interesting package that does take a lot more faith, but that should be no problem at all to his genuine believers. Yeah, Alan, as you were talking, I was uh, doing a little bit of you know research in the background. I think you can easily contrast what you just said about you know the Bible, Word of God, you know the confidence we can have in it. The writers were not just putting their own thinksos in there. And the reason why I say that is I, I can contrast that, for example, with a couple passages from the Book of Mormon. Nephi, one of the characters in the Book of Mormon, responsible for writing some stuff down that allegedly Joseph Smith translated later. First Nephi 19.6 I do not write anything upon plates, save it be that I think it be sacred. And now if I do err, even did they err of old, not that I would excuse myself because of other men, but because of the weakness which is in me according to the flesh, I would excuse myself. Second Nephi 33 verses 1 through 4. And now I, Nephi, cannot write, cannot write all the things which were taught among my people, neither am I mighty in writing like unto speaking, but behold, are many that harden their hearts and cast many things away which are written and esteem them as things of naught. But I, Nephi, have written what I have written, and I esteem it of great worth. And the words which I have written in weakness will be made strong. So, interestingly enough, contrast that with the confidence that Paul wrote, saying his words were the Holy Spirit, that we should follow them, etc. So, a very uh, an interesting, interesting contrast between in some ways, the, the works of men and the works of God. Uh, Alan, any, any comments there before we start to wrap up this first part of the podcast? Yeah, um, I think we could kind of sum it up because, again, we can't have an accurate translation if we don't have an accurate foundation. We have, coming down from history, a Old Testament written in Hebrew and Aramaic and we have a New Testament written in Greek, and we can have absolute assurance that those documents are perfect, they are absolute, and so all the translator has to do is accurately translate those words, and we have absolutely everything that we need. But if we don't accept inspiration of the scriptures, or we assume that the scriptures are subject to man's interpretation, then we can have translations, and we do have some today. We can have translations where human wisdom modifies what the scriptures originally said because, and they're not afraid to do it because they don't believe the promises of God. And so when we start talking about translations, I just want all of our listeners to realize that we are going under the absolute conviction and assurance that we do have God's Word available to us today, and all we have to do is be sure the Bible we're reading it out of has been accurately translated. So in some ways, to you know, briefly summarize it, at least from my perspective, you know, for our listeners, as we read earlier, all Scripture, given by inspiration of God, starts with Genesis 1.1, ends in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, that inspiration in this usage means that God made, you know, absolutely certain that every passage in the Bible accurately revealed by the Holy Spirit to writers. And on top of that, like you've so well pointed out, that part of that was making or, or recording the promises that God made, that he would keep his word available to humanity, would be pure, 
Uh, it would be able to guide us. Uh, Jesus promised that his words will not pass away, that because of all of that, uh, we can have the conviction that you know the Bible as written, as first revealed, was perfect and flawless then and has been preserved for our benefit today. Of course, recognizing, as you pointed out, part of that process after it was originally written involves translation. I think that's probably what we're going to talk about in uh, part two. So, Brian, I'll, I'll toss it over to you to wrap up for the day. Yeah, sounds good. You know, as you were mentioning, Jeff, uh, and well, both of you really talking about the reliability of the scriptures. And, you know, Jeff, you had quoted some from the Book of Mormon, right? So we see that there have been men and women, for that matter, over the years that have introduced additional creeds, claiming that it's, you know, an extension of the Bible, for instance. But yet, as you touched on, Alan, there's so many passages that we could refer to I'll just throw one other out that we didn't talk about, but but certainly would apply here, and that is in Galatians chapter 1. You know, one problem mankind has always had is being led away by the doctrines or false teaching of the wicked. And Paul said in Galatians 1, 6, you know, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he says in verse 8, but if we or an angel from heaven, or he says, even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And so, Alan, I've always kind of taken that as, that's like the, the you know, quickest way to be able to determine if somebody's trying to teach you false doctrine, and that is if they're introducing anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we'll be judged by. Excellent point, Brian. And as you say, there's multitudes of verses that teach that, that whosoever goeth onward and abides not in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Well, we have to have a teachings of Christ in order to go beyond that. And same thing in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You need to learn not to go beyond the things that are written. And so the whole purpose of this first podcast is just to help our listeners understand that we have a perfect, flawless standard in the New Testament scriptures. That's God's wisdom. That's God's promise of being pure. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for correction and instruction. And then we have all this human wisdom right by it that can be rejected now because we have a standard by which we can assess it all. Absolutely. Yeah, very well stated. In fact, Alan, you know, as we now wrap up and we think about the second part of this podcast, as you were just stating, you know, to me, it's always been pretty simple in the sense that I fully believe that God would have ensured that we have his word if he's going to judge us by that word. And so for me, much like you mentioned with Noah's Ark, I don't need to be convinced this is the word of God. However, with that said, we do know, as Jeff was pointing out, you know, other translations or those are creeds that have been added. But also, we know that there are translations out there that we really can't rely on because they have been materially changed from the original manuscript. So anyhow, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what we're going to cover in the second part of this podcast as it relates to that. Yeah, in, in our next podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the absolute truth that our faith leads us to understand that there is a perfect Bible and that we need to seek for it. And then it's interesting, but in the preface of every Bible, every translation, the translators tell us what their goal is. And by looking at that, we're going to be able to figure out whether our translation is going to lead us closer and closer to the truth or further and further away from it. And I think it's vital that we understand, yes, we do have an absolute standard in the original uh, text, but if we have translators who are telling us we don't believe in that absolute standard, so we're going to inject our own thoughts into here to make it easier to read, then you know that you've got a translation that you're going to have to approach with great caution. Absolutely. Look forward to that episode as well. So if you'd like some additional information, go to our website, BibleQuestions.org, and you'll see a couple of uh, sections that you might find interesting as it relates to this particular subject. And that is, 
if you go under the letter C for Christian evidences, you'll see there's inspiration, a section on inspiration there or teaching on inspiration, which uh, goes along with what Alan was talking about today. We also have an entire series of lessons on Christian evidences. And if I recall, Jeff, this was a, a class that you'd put together, right, for like a high school class with multiple lessons on Christian evidences? Yes, Brian. It's actually a uh, single PDF file with all of the lessons sort of uh, gathered together in the one file that our listeners can uh, download. Uh, I might also mention there are some uh, study notes as well, or instructor's notes uh, that's out there as a, as a separate PDF. They can certainly download those resources and learn more about why we think you know there is a supreme being to the point of our uh, topic today, why the Bible is indeed reliable and we can trust it as being inspired. And of course, the third section in there is the uh, how we can believe that Jesus is indeed who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Excellent. Yeah, that really is a nice series. So under Lessons, Christian Living, and then Christian Evidences. And then we have a number of articles that you know we've written or previous questions that we've answered regarding the Bible in general. So if you go under Section B, or Letter B, I should say, you'll see like Bible, Bible History, Bible Study, Bible Translations. And then also Jeff and I, back in Episodes 54 and 55, You'll also see it under the Bible origins section on the podcast page. Did a podcast where we kind of talk about the mechanics regarding how the Bibles we have today came to be. And we talk about kind of like Alan mentioned the, you know, the manuscripts and what the translators did to actually give us what we have today. Uh, so anyhow, bunch of material at the website. We cur- would encourage everyone to take a look at it when you have a minute. Thank you for tuning into this episode, and we encourage you to come back for part two, where Alan will continue this series. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.